This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for April 21st, 2011, Monday, Thursday. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 and 31 through 35. The message is by Deacon Eric Coons. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the beginning of what has traditionally been called the triduum, Latin word that means three days. And it refers, of course, to Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. These are the most sacred and solemn days on the church's calendar, and the services that mark these days are the central events of the liturgical year. That's because these three days, along with Easter Sunday, commemorate the most important events in human history crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus was crucified on a Friday since, as the Gospel of John tells us, his body had to be removed from the cross before the beginning of the Sabbath. So the events described in today's Gospel reading occurred on the day before the crucifixion on a Thursday. On the church calendar, we call this day Maundy Thursday. I'll leave any discussion of where we get that word Maundy for another time. For now, I want us to think about what must have been going on in the minds of the 12 men who gathered in that upper room for what turned out to be the last Passover meal they would ever eat with Jesus. For three years, they had traveled with Jesus over the length and breadth of that land from Jerusalem in the south in Judea up to Nazareth and Capernaum in the Galilee, from Caesarea Philippi even farther north down the east side of the Jordan across to Jericho and Bethany, and back to Jerusalem. It had been an amazing journey. They had seen and heard some astonishing things, those miracles. Could they ever forget how Jesus had made sick people well, that a huge crowd with a young boy's lunch walked on the Sea of Galilee as though it were pavement, and even raised some people from the dead? But if the things he did left them astonished and amazed, Many of the things he said left them perplexed and bewildered. For example, once Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he really was, Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus commended Peter for that response and then immediately began to talk about how he, Jesus, was going to be persecuted by the religious leaders in Jerusalem and ultimately killed. You can understand why Peter couldn't imagine the Messiah the Son of the living God, coming to such an end. But when he questioned Jesus about it, the Lord called him a stumbling block and said that now he was speaking the words of Satan, perplexing and bewildering. Then there was something Jesus called the kingdom of God. He talked about it so much that we have to regard it as the central theme of his ministry. Most of his parables, those simple stories out of everyday life that he used to teach profound spiritual truth, most of those parables focused on some aspect of the kingdom of God. For example, who were its citizens? What was its character? How did one enter the kingdom? When would it be a reality on the earth? And the disciples had difficulty understanding many of those concepts. They thought Jesus was talking about a kingdom comprised of real estate, when actually he was talking more about the power and authority which he, the king, wanted to exercise over the lives of his followers, the citizens of the kingdom. 
Jesus was also talking about a physical and political kingdom, which he would bring to earth one day. But the disciples thought he meant that it was going to appear immediately. They completely missed Jesus' point that before the kingdom could come in power and glory, the king had to be crucified. And then for a period of time, the kingdom of God would exist mainly in the hearts and lives of Christian believers, awaiting a day in the future when the king would return as the king of kings and lord of lords. It wasn't until after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his return to heaven that the disciples began to understand completely what Jesus had meant when he taught them to look at all of life from the perspective of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that may help to explain why during his lifetime his disciples were often confused about his teaching. Without this kingdom consciousness, many of Jesus' teachings do seem complicated and unrealistic. For example, while the conventional wisdom teaches that success is often measured by wealth, it was Jesus the King who said, blessed are the poor. Conventional wisdom tells us that if somebody hurts us, we should hurt them back and more. Jesus the King, however, taught that we should not return evil for evil, but rather pray for our enemies. Conventional wisdom suggests that the more stuff we have, the happier we'll be. Jesus the King, however, taught that we shouldn't lay up treasures on earth since our hearts will be where our treasures are. Jesus came to turn the conventional wisdom on its head, and it's easy to see why more than one person has called this kingdom that Jesus taught about and modeled the upside-down kingdom. In his death and resurrection, Jesus made it possible for people to experience forgiveness and freedom and to enter this kingdom. And throughout his earthly life and ministry, Jesus devoted himself to preparing and equipping his followers to live like kingdom citizens and to preach the good news of the kingdom to the whole world. Even on that first Maundy Thursday, the night before he was crucified, Jesus remained faithful to the task of linking his suffering and death just hours away now with the kingdom of God. The uh, prayer book liturgy for Maundy Thursday lists two possible gospel readings. We read one of them from the 13th of John. The other is from the 22nd of Luke. And let me read a line or two from that passage. When the hour came to eat the Passover, Jesus took his place at the table, the apostles with him, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you just as my Father conferred on me a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Well, I began this homily by asking you to think about what must have been going on in the minds of the disciples of Jesus as they gathered in that upper room to share his last Passover meal. The Gospels make it clear that Jesus knew the time of his death was fast approaching. It's unclear how much his disciples fully understood. They may well have misinterpreted what he meant when he told them, as Luke records in that little portion I just read, that he would not eat the Passover with them again until it was fulfilled in the kingdom. Then John records an exchange between Jesus and Peter in which Jesus says that he is about to go away. Peter asks where he is going and then vows that he will follow Jesus even to imprisonment and death. 
I know that Peter could be awfully brash on occasion, but I wonder if he would have made such a bold commitment of loyalty if he had known that it would be put to such a severe test in a matter of, a matter of hours. What we do know from John's account is that early in the evening, after the meal had barely begun, Jesus got up from the table, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured some water in a bowl, and began to wash his disciples' feet. And in that simple, awkward, intimate, and maybe even embarrassing act, Jesus, the master teacher, provided an object lesson to illustrate the essence of what he had been trying to teach his disciples about living in the kingdom for three years. Now, he had already done that with words. That is, he had already reduced the heart of the kingdom ethic, the moral principles that drive life in the kingdom, to a short, pithy, memorable statement. In Matthew's gospel, it's recorded like this. One of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So there you have it. The essence of the kingdom ethic is the law of love. And Jesus made sure that we wouldn't just think of that love as some kind of nebulous spiritual exercise of love toward God by expanding the concept of love to include love of people, which, when you think about it, is the practical proof that we really love God. So Jesus is saying to me, if I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, I will want to love you as much as I love me. And to you, if you want to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, then you'll want to love me as much as you love you. But beyond that, the ethic of the kingdom requires that we extend love to people outside of our comfort zone, outside of our families, outside of our circle of friends, even outside of the community of faith, to dirty people, hostile people, thoughtless people, ungrateful people, people who will lie to us and hurt us and take advantage of us and laugh while they're doing it. This neighbor love, this kingdom love, means that I care about you with the same intensity I care about myself. I work as hard to help you meet your noble goals as I work to meet my own. I elevate your need to the level of my own. And that's difficult to do when we're both applying for the same job or when my physical or emotional or financial situation is so severe that I can barely see beyond it. Still, this is the law of love on which the ethic of the kingdom is based. And it can be inconvenient, unrealistic, and uncomfortable. And for these reasons, it's easy to rationalize our way out of compliance with the law of love which Jesus set down and regard the whole thing as laudable theory, but impractical, if not impossible, to implement. I think Jesus knew that we would say things like that in response to his law of love, and that's why the master teacher on the night before his crucifixion took a towel and a bowl and washed his disciples' feet. Make no mistake, this was not mere symbolism. These men had been walking dusty streets and trails all day wearing sandals. Their feet were dirty. When they assembled in the upper room to eat the Passover meal with Jesus, they reclined around a very low table just inches off the ground. One man's feet were virtually in another man's face. A courteous host would have provided a servant to care for the thankless task of washing the feet 
of his guests before they reclined to eat. But there was no host here. Jesus was a guest in this room, the same as his disciples. Besides that, he was their rabbi, their teacher, their Lord. No reasonable person would have assumed that it was the teacher's job to wash the feet of the students. But that's exactly what Jesus did. The master became a servant, and in so doing, he showed us what he meant when he established the law of love as the ethic of the kingdom of God. A citizen of the kingdom is first and foremost a servant. For three years, Jesus had been telling his disciples that following him might require them to give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's what he meant when he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's important to know how to die as a citizen of the kingdom. All of Jesus' faithful disciples, all of the men gathered in that upper room, except, of course, Judas Iscariot, who would take his own life not long after that event, but of the other 11, all but one of them, John, would die as a martyr for the faith. But when Jesus took the towel and basin and washed his disciples' feet, he made it clear that it's important to know not only how to die, but also how to live. Most of us will not be called on to surrender our lives for the sake of the gospel. Jesus calls on us, however, to experience the unspeakable joy that comes from service motivated by love. In his really excellent book on the spiritual disciplines called The Celebration of Discipline, the Quaker author Richard Foster wrote in this regard, in some ways, we would rather hear Jesus' call to deny father, mother, houses, and lands for the sake of the kingdom than his emphasis on servanthood. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure. If we forsake all, we even have the chance of glorious martyrdom. But in service, we are banished to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. Well, every time we celebrate the Eucharist here, Immediately following the sermon, we stand and confess our faith as we will today using the words of the historic Nicene Creed. This, is in part, this in part is what we affirm about Jesus when we do that. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Hold that in your mind and think again about Jesus eating a last Passover meal with his disciples in that upper room on the night before he died. When we think about him in that setting, we probably recall, first of all, the pattern for the communion meal that he established there, which we, which we celebrate on Sunday mornings. And indeed, we should think about those terms because the prayer book reminds us that on the night he was handed over to suffering and death, the very night of the events that we read of in the gospel this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And then after supper, he took the cup of wine. But before the bread and before the wine, Luke tells us that Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Then John reminds us that Jesus Christ, through whom all things were made, got up from the meal, took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured some water into a basin, and began to wash the feet of men whom he had created. The ethic of the kingdom is simply love put to work through caring, compassionate service. By selecting servanthood as the model of the kingdom ethic, Jesus makes it clear that the pathway of the king 
might be costly to our pride, to our security, and maybe to a whole lot more. But if on this Maundy Thursday you and I are serious about being disciples of Jesus amid the clamor of the technological world in this, the 21st century, then through all the noise and hubbub, we will hear the voice of Jesus say, if you would be my disciple, take a towel and a bowl and follow me. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.